Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're continuing our Sunday morning series in the book of James this morning, chapter 3, the New Testament letter of James, the Lord's half-brother who grew up in the same home with Jesus, which is one of the reasons why James holds a special place in my heart to get that kind of a perspective And we have seen throughout our study of the book of James in the first couple chapters that James is dealing with the fact that our faith is going to be tested throughout our life. Even as Christians, our confidence in God, our conviction about who God is and what God has said is going to be tested. And James starts out in chapter 1 by telling us trials will test our faith. Then he tells us that, you know, our response to his word is a test of our faith. And then he told us that our response to the law of love and mercy tests our faith. And last week we saw where our works are a test of our faith. Today we're going to see that our faith will be tested by our words Our faith will be tested by our words. In fact, James starts out in chapter 3, verse 1, with these words. Not many of you, brothers and sisters, should become teachers, for we know that we will be judged more strictly. The first thing that James is saying to all of us, and especially to those like myself that have the position of a teacher, is that we are responsible before God for our words. We are responsible before God for our words. Notice James doesn't say that everyone else besides teachers will not be judged at all. He is saying in verse 1 that teachers will be judged more strictly. In other words, out of everyone in this room who will stand before God one day and give an account, guess what? I'm held most responsible because the position of teacher, that role, that responsibility is one that carries with it great privilege but also great responsibility. Teachers have a great responsibility of steering people and influencing and impacting people. And so James is saying, those of you that stand before God's people and teach, you better make sure that you're doing it accurately, that you're teaching what the Word of God teaches because you will be held accountable because you have great influence and impact over those that you teach. But he's saying to all of us as a reminder, All of us are going to be held responsible for our words because the Bible teaches that we will all give an account of ourselves before God one day. Jesus tells us that we will be accountable for every careless word that we speak, Matthew chapter 12, which reminds us how responsible then before God we are. Now, some of you may say, oh, wait a minute. I thought when I became a Christian that my sin was judged at the cross and that I'm no longer to be judged by God. But this concept of judgment has nothing to do with our place in heaven or our salvation for all of eternity. It is dealing with our rewards and our role and responsibility throughout the kingdom and beyond. 
you see. That's what we are held accountable for. How we have lived our Christian life and then what rewards and responsibilities and roles God will give us. Sort of the well done, good and faithful servant. Not every Christian is going to hear those words from Jesus. And so James is saying here, all of us need to understand that one of the things we are going to be held accountable for is our speech, our words. And so James says, we should live every day knowing that. And here's how our faith is tested. Do we really believe that? Because if we really believed that we are going to be responsible before God for our words, would that not change maybe how we speak and what we say and maybe even what we don't say or at times even what we should say but maybe we don't. And then obviously our faith is tested too in this area because we're going to learn later on that it's only when we totally rely and depend upon the Lord can we gain uh, some kind of control over this issue of the tongue and our speech. Do we have the faith, if you will, to do that or are we trying to sort of do this tongue thing and this speech thing and this word thing on our own. So the first thing James starts out in chapter 3 with is we are responsible for our words. But the next thing that he says is this in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. In other words, forget perfection on this side of heaven. We're not going to be perfect. But he does say in verse 2, if someone is able to sort of gain control of their speech, you see. If we do not stumble in what we say, then we become a perfect individual able to control, James says in verse 2, the entire body as well. What James is saying there is that we can trace our spiritual progress and growth through the discipline of our speech. You see, the word perfect there in the original language doesn't mean sinless. It means one who is on their way to the intended goal, one who is making progress, one who is maturing, one who is growing. And James is simply saying, you and I will truly be able to gauge our spiritual growth maybe most accurately through what we say or what we don't say because James says... Gaining control over our speech is a discipline. It takes spiritual discipline. It takes self-discipline. And notice James says there in verse 2, if you and I, through God building into our life and growing us, if we can start to discipline this, then James says that same discipline, that same power that we have over our words, over our speech, can carry over to other areas of our life and our bodies, and we can develop discipline in those areas too, because let's face it, one of the things that we all struggle with are each of us have our certain areas of our life that we struggle with self-discipline in. And James is simply reminding us that if you and I allow God to take control of this, then there's no area of our life that's going to be harder, if you will, to gain mastery over than this. So if we can start getting traction with disciplining our speech, then that can carry over to every other area of our life. So if you and I are looking for a way to sort of track our spiritual growth, <laughs> Our spiritual maturity, James says, there's no better way to gauge that than looking at what we say and how we say it and when we say it 
and even whether we should say it. And again, let me say that many times when we talk about this subject, we're always thinking about the things that came out of our mouth that we shouldn't say. But let's also be reminded that the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Therefore, there's also times where I should have said something. I should have spoken up. I should have opened up my mouth, and I didn't. And that's just as bad, too. It's not just saying things that we shouldn't say that come out of our mouth. It's also not saying the things that we should say, if you will, when we are given that opportunity. So, first thing James says is our faith is going to be tested by our words. And that one thing he wants to plant in our minds and hearts right away is we need to remember every day we are responsible for what we say before God. One day, as Jesus says, we will give an account of every careless word that we have spoken. Secondly, James says, we can trace the spiritual progress of our life through the discipline of our speech are we growing in disciplining what we say and how we say it and when we say it and even whether we should say it or again should we have said something and we didn't but James doesn't stop there he goes on in verses three and four to tell us that what we say really determines the direction of our life even our destiny, if you will. Because notice there in verses 3 and 4, he uses two illustrations that you and I can understand. The first one is bridles in horses' mouths. And he says, though a horse is, you know, a pretty big animal, you put this bit in their mouth and literally you can control this massive animal through this bit. You can guide it. You can direct it. And then James uses a giant ship. He says, here's these huge ships that, that are on the water, and yet this little rudder, you know, can sort of direct and guide uh, and steer the ship. He says the same thing is true with our tongue. It may not be one of the bigger members of our body, but it literally directs and guides everything that we do in our life. You see, what comes out of our mouth literally creates an environment around us that you and I end up living in, sort of our own personal spiritual aquarium, if you will, okay? And let me go this route first. Sometimes it's, if, if we're going to choose to live a life where we are judging and criticizing everyone and tearing them down, and that's what we're doing, then we are going to create that environment. And we literally, by what we are saying to others, we are determining that's the way we want to live. And the Bible teaches us, if you want to live that way, if you want to bite and devour those around you, then the Bible says we will be consumed one by another. Because... When you and I live that way, just like we talked last week, if you're going to be a person that doesn't extend mercy to others, then you probably won't get it yourself. And that will be the environment that you live in, a very cutthroat, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth environment. And the other thing James is saying here is not only do we determine the direction of our life that way, we also determine the direction and destiny of our lives by our self-talk. And this is so important. This is something that I'm very well aware of because in my life, many of you know, I struggled with anxiety for many, many years. 
And most of that was due to my own self-talk, what I was telling myself, you see, which is why the Bible teaches us to tell ourselves and learn to tell ourselves the truth because it is only when we live the truth and we tell ourselves the truth, as Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you and I as human beings can allow the lies of others, the lies of the devil that he tells us, or even the lies that we tell ourselves to literally shape our life. And what we've got to do is we've got to learn to reject the lies that we hear and the lies that we tell ourselves and to base our lives and the direction of our lives and the destiny of our lives upon the truth of God. Amen. Let me use this as an illustration. I use this a lot in, in counseling. A young person, a child, can grow up in an environment, sad to say, where they are, they hear this all the time from maybe parents or, or siblings or those around them. You're a nobody. You'll never amount to anything in your life. And the reason I know that to be true is because as a pastor, I've dealt with adults who as a child, that was the environment they grew up in. And guess what? They believed that lie. Now, that wasn't true, but they believed it because they heard it so often that they began to think that that's true. I'm a nobody. I'll never amount to anything. And so now they become this middle-aged adult and they continue to tell themselves, I'm a nobody. I'll never amount to anything. And what God wants us to do is to reject those lies in our life and to learn to tell ourselves what is true. No, I am somebody. I am a valued person. Uh, I'm a special creation of God. Jesus thought enough of me to come and die for me so that I could have a relationship with him for all of eternity. I've been knit together in my mother's womb, Psalm 139, by my creator and by my sustainer. And, and I need to tell myself truth, you see, because it literally does determine the direction and destiny of our lives. So many uh, human beings struggle with our self-talk. And uh, many times, even in the quietness of our own homes or in the quietness of our own lives, sometimes uh, our, our most messed up time is, is, is being by ourselves and not zeroing in on God and, and what God has said about us and what God is wanting to say to us because we can start to just go at a very bad place very quickly and we can start to drown in our own thoughts. And so James is saying, remember, Christian, like the rudder on the ship, like the bridle in the horse's mouth, you and I, by this very small part of our body, can determine our direction and destiny by life by what we say and by the environment that we create around us, if you will, again, that aquarium that you and I will live in throughout our time on earth by our words. But he doesn't stop there. He then builds upon that by telling us we dare not underestimate the power of the tongue. Beginning in verse 5, he says, Think how a small flame can set a whole forest ablaze. And you and I in Arizona certainly know that well, the huge fires that we've had throughout the history of our state and how it starts with maybe just a small spark. James goes on to say, and the tongue is a fire, 
It represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of the body. In fact, he goes on to say, it pollutes the entire body, setting on fire the course of human existence and is even set on fire by hell itself. And then at the end of verse 8, he says this, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, James couldn't be more adamant about how powerful the tongue is, how much damage it can do if we do not learn to discipline our, our speech. And you and I have been on the other end of that. Hopefully, we're not the ones who inflict it, but we know being on the other end of that at times in our life how hurtful words can be. Now, again, many times when we talk about the tremendous power of the tongue, we're only looking at it negatively, but I don't want to do that this morning because the Bible teaches us, in fact, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And just as we can destroy people by what we say and what they say about us, we can also speak life and love into people's lives as well. And so they can do the same to us, you see. That power works both ways. You and I can be a great comfort, a great strength, a great encouragement, a great uh, source of, of joy by what we say just as much as we can tear people down and destroy them by what we say too. You and I have been given great power through this medium, if you will, that God has placed in us, the ability to be able to speak. And James is simply saying, let us as Christians always use this power for good rather than for evil and for wickedness. Let's not allow this great power that we've been given to destroy those around us. Let's remember the power that we have. In fact, if you go over to chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, notice what James says there. He says, do not speak against a brother or sister in Christ. Do not speak against one another because if you speak against one another as fellow believers and judge one another, he says, you now speak against the law and become a judge of God's law. And he says, therefore, you're not being a doer of the law. You're now sitting in judgment of God's law. And basically, James is saying, if you and I say that we value the law of God, that we value God's principles, that we value God's word and what God says to us, then why would we ever seek to damage the reputation of the word of God by somehow living in such a way that is contradictory to what God says? Again, that's where our faith is tested. And then he goes on in verse 12 of chapter 4 to say, there's only one lawgiver and one judge, only one who should define us, as we sang about this morning, and one who will determine our destiny. And it's not human beings, it is the Lord himself. You see, what James is saying in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, is that our words can affect our worship. Our words can affect our worship. Let me illustrate. James is saying, if you all 
in the body of Christ come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and you're always bickering and fighting with each other, that damages the environment of worship in your local assembly. And, and horizontally, worship is damaged because the church is being filled by people who are, you know, snipping at each other all the time and sniping at each other all the time. And he says that does not create an optimum environment of worship for the Lord whenever God's people come together and they're speaking against each other. In fact, that's why Jesus even said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, if you come to my house and you want to worship me, and yet you remember that there's something between you and a brother or sister in Christ, he said, don't stay there and worship. You go and get that taken care of and make that right first, and then you come and offer your gift and worship me. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus understands our worship is affected by our relationships and even the brokenness of our relationship, and not wanting to restore our relationships and not wanting to do them properly. You see, we don't understand that in this auditorium, even on Sunday, an environment is created. In fact, for our benefit, it's great that Nicole and her worship team gets here real early on Sunday, and they begin to speak truth out into this place so that an environment is created. Do you realize in your home, in your workplace, wherever you're at, that you create, again, that environment that you and I live in? And James is simply saying, when we criticize one another, when we speak against each other, horizontally we're doing damage to our worship time. But also, that's not the only thing James is saying in verse 11 and 12. He says vertically, we're doing damage to our worship of God because we put ourselves in the place of God whenever we don't listen to what God says about our speech. Because notice what he says. He says, if you and I aren't doing what God says we should do, then we are sitting in judgment of the law. We now are putting ourselves in the place of God. We're saying we know better than God, and this is the way we're going to live. And James says that's going to create damage to your vertical relationship and to your worship of God whenever you disregard what God says and whenever you and I as human beings basically take the place of God in our lives. That's how important our words are. So that's why then back to chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the next thing James says is this. He says, we need to strive for greater consistency in our speech. He says, with it, this tongue, we bless the Lord our Father. And yet with this same tongue, he says, we curse people who are made in God's image. He says, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And he says, my brothers and sisters, these things should not be. In other words, I, I shouldn't use my mouth in worship time to be singing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then turn right around later that day and say something very damaging and derogatory about my brother or sister in Christ. Inconsistent. You see, one of the things that James teaches throughout this entire letter that's really important for us as Christians to get is how integrated our Christian life is. Meaning, again, that one part of it affects the other part. 
that there is no compartmentalization when it comes to God. You see, on earth, we as human beings have bought into that false philosophy of the world that we can live that. We can compartmentalize things. God never teaches us that. He says one area of your life is absolutely going to affect another area of your life. Physically, spiritually, and emotionally, it's all tied together. In fact, can I tell you, even the way God created us physically, there's some crazy connections that you and I would never know about. I would have never known about, except some of my family members, you know, have went through things in my, in my life. Uh, I did not know that, you know, someone who had colon cancer uh, needed to look out for having cancer in their eye because it's the same type of cancer. And they go, your, your colon is connected to your eye? Well, cancer-wise, yeah, yeah. It's just crazy the way God made us and how everything is integrated. And so James is simply saying here, I, I can't compartmentalize my life. I mean, I can try as a Christian. I can come into the house of God and I can just praise God up a storm. But then if I go home on Sunday afternoon and all I do the rest of the week is just tear people down and criticize them and judge them, he's saying, do you not realize that affects your worship? And again, with our mouth, we can say all the right things, but we all hopefully by this time at the Oasis know worship is more about our heart and our heart attitude than it ever is what comes out of our mouth. Amen. That's what God's looking for is our heart, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But that's why James then also says we need to strive for better consistency. Again, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to, you know, do it right all the time. But as part of our spiritual growth and maturity, we ought to see a greater discipline in our speech and we ought to see a greater consistency. That the more we worship God and the more we praise him and adore him and bless him that comes out of our mouth, the more we should also be positive in our comments about others as well and even ourselves. That's why then James looks at verse 11 and 12 this way. He says, if you and I want to change our speech, if we want to change our way of speaking, we need to deal with the source. We need to look to the source of it all. That's why James says in these verses, a spring cannot pour out both fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, from the same source, does it? And he says, can a fig tree produce olives or can a vine of olives produce figs? No, because it all goes back to the source or the foundation. So then he says, neither can a saltwater spring produce fresh water. What James is teaching there in verse 11 and 12 is that if we're going to deal with our speech, we've got to go back to the source. And what is the source of our speech the Bible teaches? It's our heart. It's our heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, it is out of the abundance of our heart that the mouth speaks. It's what fills our heart that literally comes out of our mouth. 
So if we're going to change what we say and when we say it and why we say it and even not saying it or maybe saying the things that we should rather than the things that we shouldn't, James says, I've got to deal with my heart. That's what I've got to deal with. Not my speech, my heart. Because if I let God deal with my heart and get to the heart of the issue rather than dealing with the symptom, if I let God deal with the root of the issue, then, if you will, the fruit will take care of itself, you see. Again, part of our problem even as modern-day Christians because of the world we live in is we live in a world today where everybody wants to deal with the symptom but not with the cause, not with the root. I, I don't want to deal with the root of why this is always happening. I just want you to make my symptoms go away or I want you to alleviate my symptoms. The problem is that never works or they'll come back and sometimes they'll come back as symptoms even worse because I still haven't dealt with the real issue. And that's why Jesus says, if you and I want to deal with our speech in any capacity at all, we've got to let God work on our heart. That's why then I wanted to end with these verses, even though James puts these verses in the middle of the passage this morning, and that's verses 7 and 8, where James says in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, that human beings have tamed or subdued every animal pretty much on earth. Every land animal, every air animal, every sea animal. But then he says this in verse 8, but no human being can subdue or tame the tongue. Amen. And so basically what he's saying is this. If my speech needs to be dealt with at the source, and the source is my heart, only God can change a heart. See, you and I as human beings, we don't have that power. And unless we allow God to come in and do a work, if you will, spiritual surgery at a heart level, then nothing will ever change as far as our speech and our words go. Nothing. Because all we've tried to do is deal with the surface, superficial level of it. We've never allowed God to come in and basically say, God, I need a new heart. I need you to create in me a new heart so that what begins to come out of my mouth and when it comes out and how it comes out and all of that will just totally take on a different flavor. It will totally create in me and around my life a whole different environment, a whole different aquarium, if you will, for me to spiritually swim around in every day. It won't be this environment that I've created on my own, an environment of judgment and criticism and, and tear down and devastation and all of that. And not only to others, but even what I tell myself about myself. James says, get rid of it and let God, through his work on our hearts, create a whole different environment. Which is why one of the things I wanted to say before we sort of wrap this all up this morning is this. One of the most important things you and I can do as Christians in our lives is to stop listening to so many other voices, even our own voice, and allow God's voice to predominate and be the dominant voice that we listen to and hear in our lives every day. 
And my goodness, we live in a world today where there's so many people talking. And so many people not really saying anything or at least a benefit and profit. And here's God, our creator, our savior, our sustainer, who literally is speaking love and life into our lives every day, and yet many times because of the way we live our lives, his voice is drowned out by all this other stuff, and we can't hear the voice of God speaking love and life into our lives. And that needs to be corrected. We need to turn down the other voices and turn up the voice of God. I don't know how, you know, specifically you want to do that in your life, but all I'm saying is all of us would benefit by turning down all the other voices and turning up the voice of God. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Zephaniah 3.17. Listen to this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst. That's good right there, right? He is right here. But then it says, he is a warrior who can deliver you. I like that too, because I need delivered. I need rescued. I need saved, not just for my sin. I, I got a lot of other deliverance that needs to happen in my life. And my God, the warrior, he can do it. And then it says this, he takes great delight in you. Wow. God delights in me. Oh, and then it goes on to say, he renews you by his love. And my friends, that's not just once a year. That's every day the Bible teaches us that God is speaking his love into our lives. He's speaking his love for us over us all the time. And then Zephaniah 3.17 ends this way. And the Lord, he sings over us with great joy. See, we're not the only ones called to sing. God sings too. And one of the things God does when he sings is he's singing over you. He's expressing his love for you, his delight in you every day. And here we are, even as his children, it's like we go through days and weeks and months and even years, and it's like we don't even hear the voice of God because we are so focused on our own voice or on other people's voices, and we've created this terrible environment to live in, and it's destroying others, and it's destroying us. And God is saying, I want to set you free from all that. I want to create in you a new heart. I want to give you a new environment to live in, and it all starts with us allowing God to get into this level and to truly get down to the root of the issue and begin to do a spiritual surgery on our heart and begin to open up our ears to his voice speaking into our lives and speaking over us every day so that every day you and I wake up, we hear him taking great delight in us. We hear him renewing his love for us every day. We hear him literally singing over us with great joy. That's the life God wants to create for his children. May we open up our hearts so that when our faith is tested by our words, we will see that we are growing 
in that area of our faith. Could we stand, please, and pray? God, I thank you that right now we should be hearing you, Lord, speaking and singing over us. And God, right now we have the opportunity to, to offer that to you as well. That once again, Lord, what comes out of our mouth would be truth. And that, Lord, we would be offering up our heart to you right now. That we would be saying, God, I want you to come in to my heart level and I want you to do a work, God, that only you can do because I confess, God, right now before you that my words and my speech this last week has not been honoring to you. That, God, out of my same mouth has come blessing but also cursing. And, God, I'm sorry for that. God, would you build into my life a discipline that I could never build in myself? Could you build into my life a consistency of my speech that I could never build in myself? Would you come, God, today and take over my heart and flood into my heart and invade my heart? And, Lord, may my speech and my words never be the same again. Would only that what comes out of my mouth not only bless you, Lord, and honor you, but that it would bless others around me as well and even bless myself, God. And may, God, we open up our ears to hear your voice singing and speaking over us each and every day as you speak and sing your love into our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.